So all the things that we thought we, we were right on, all the things that we thought we knew, right? You know, uh, the earth is flat. <laughs> Turns out it's not. Not washing your hands in between surgical cases. We used to think, no big deal. Go from surgical case to surgical case. Of course, if you're a physician, you're a surgeon. If you weren't, then you'd get in trouble for that too. Dred Scott versus Sanford. We thought that was a good decision. Plessy versus Ferguson all the times. We thought we were hot Dewey over Truman. We thought Dewey won. No, we were wrong on them. The Bay of Pigs was less than us. No good music in the 80s. There's people today who would, who would espouse that there's no good music coming out of the 80s. at anathema. All the things that we thought we were right on. A land war in Afghanistan. This is the one that's most intriguing to me. Okay, we, the United States of America, with the Mujahideen, defeated the Soviets in 1979, 80, somewhere in there, in Afghanistan. And then we go back and do a land war again. You're kind of like, come on, people, what are we thinking about? Don't even get me started on weather. Although, as a sailor, you learn, okay, because for the weather forecasters among us, as a sailor that you learn, each day that you are removed from the date of the forecast, you can be off 100 miles, and that's just how weather works. Or the Vikings in Super Bowls. Don't get me started on Vikings. Last week, okay, last week I came upon this car, right? Okay, I came upon this car, and, and there was uh, two different uh, little bumper stickers, although they were on his rear window, um, and it was a he. Um, uh, one sticker was, it doesn't matter. The other sticker was, stop global whining, Oh, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so funny. But if you really believe that, wouldn't you not have the sticker on your back window? <laughs> All the things that you think you know. I, I think I'm slowly coming to the point in which I realize how little I know. It, it wasn't always that way. From, from the brilliant, albeit awkward, junior high student My mother would often say to me, John, quit being a know-it-all. All the way through a stellar collegiate experience, I was a B student, okay? But only because I had loaded up my first two years on music classes and got straight A's and all of those. I was a confident, wise, come to me for information, 20-something. Kids, parenting, man, I was in student ministry. I held all the cards. I slowly lost some of the swagger. What do you think you know? And how do you think you know it? And do we slow down enough to listen, to hear, ultimately, I think, to be at peace? Page 584, Isaiah 23, verse 1, an oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor from the land of Cyrus. It is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast, the ships, the merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And on many waters, your revenue was the grain of Shador, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. When the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Cross over to Tarshish. Wail, O inhabitants of the coast. Is this your exultant city, whose origin is from days of old, whose feet carried her to settle far away? The market's going to take a hit, folks. If Babylon, okay, is representative of power in the ancient Near Eastern world, then Tyre is the representative of market power, okay, the economic engine. If you're into shorting the grain market, you're going to want to take this information. Of course, it's, it's stale for us today. It's expressed in poetic 
poetic fashion a market report of the Mediterranean Sea, moving from the producers to the shippers to the consumers. The market re- economy, which, which everyone relied upon, is gone. The, the market economy on which, on which hope and financial fortune rested has been erased. Inflation would at least suggest something was for sale, but here's, there's just, I mean, it's just a wasteland. We're not much different than that today, right? Everyone knows that the noise about borders is just that. The real reason why people respond or interact is how their pocketbook, their retirement account, is affected. Another way of putting it, and forgive me, please forgive me if I push too far. It often seems like we're okay as long as our bank statement is okay. The economic reality of the ancient Near Eastern world is destroyed. The, the pivot point, the, the middleman, the people that were responsible for the shipping, for, for putting goods and services into the hands of consumers, has been absolutely devastated. We don't know exactly what went down. We just know that it's gone. And, and everyone, the superpowers, are freaked out because the economic reality has changed. And I wonder if we're not like that today. My dad was a follower of Christ, and this illustration is going to seem like I'm like taking a shot at him. I'm really not. I'm just using it to like make us think, right? My dad was a follower of Christ, and, and, and the older he got, the, the more intense his relationship with Jesus Christ burned, and, and the more gracious and, and, and compassionate he became. But my dad lived through the Great Depression, and he dies, and he leaves this stack, okay, in one of those plastic uh, depository envelopes you get from the bank. He leaves this stack. It's about this thick, right? And he dies, and we go into the safe, and we open it up, and there's this stack, right, that's like this thick of 50s and 100s. I mean, he's got like 40 grand in the basement in his safe. What in the world do you need 40 grand in cash? Now, some people would say, hey, you know, you want to be liquid. Got it. I get it. Some of you might say, hey, you never know when a bank's going to fail. I'm with you. My my mom would say that he'd go downstairs, open his safe, take his grub steak out, and count it. Now, I don't fault my dad for doing that. And I suppose there's all sorts of good reasons to have 40 grand in cash in the basement. I just can't think of any right now. He was a small businessman, very successful in that respect. Money was important without question. I would say money is important. Maybe it's why the Bible talks so much about money, because money is also so powerful. You might say money is power, and I'd agree. It's amazing how how a green inanimate object so often animates itself and controls its master. And so I ask, what would happen to us if what happened to Tyre happened to us? Are our lives so controlled by the market economy and the wealth that we possess 
and the ability that we have to get the job done. Who has done this? Verse 8, glad you asked. Who has purposed this against Tyre, the bestower of crowns, whose merchant were princes, whose traders were honored of the earth? Verse 9, the Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. Yahweh. Yahweh has done this. Why? Yahweh is dismantling a system that is dependent on pride. It's a frequent target in the book of Isaiah. And we have this this picture, right? The reality of how God has created a world, okay? And in that creation, there are humans and human affairs, and, and humans have this ability to choose, right? And yet there are limits on how far humans will be able to traverse, okay, outside of the created order. And while humans are traversing here and there, God is revealing himself to more people, and two things are happening at the same time. There are more people who are hearing about God and following God. And there are more people who are hearing and following their own hearts. And again, when human pride gets out of whack, God's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to make a course correction. The, the market's going to move in a different direction. And here's where my plea exists. Can we avoid this? Can we please, please, please have some modesty? I mean, if we really think about it, we have so much in common with the target in the biblical text. It, 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 it is so easy. It is so easy to let pride run amok. And it happens so subtly, so gently. And sometimes our pride runs the other way, seemingly, right? If someone says, wow, you did a really nice job today. And you're like, oh, I really didn't do that great of a job. Or if someone's like, wow, what a great meal. We're like, oh, I really, there was a whole bunch of things wrong with it. Or, wow, it was really fun and come over to your house. Oh, my house was an absolute mess. And we have this false humility, which I think is the exact same thing as arrogant pride. It's drawing attention to who we are, wanting to feel better about ourselves. Can we just have some modesty? Can we have some modesty in what we think we know? I had a great conversation this last week with a dear, 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 dear individual. And, and, and the response that I got when I asked a question was, well, the Bible says that. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you know the Bible says that? How certain are we when we make these sweeping pronouncements about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that we really are or should be certain. And maybe what we should be is modest. 
Not that there's uncertainty in who we follow, but just modesty in our own sense of what we think we know. The text concludes, verse 16. Let's start in 15. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years. The 70 years, is it a literal 70 years? And part of the challenge with Isaiah chapter 23 is the challenge that we've had throughout Isaiah. It seems like it's referring to some some events that are happening in 700 BC, right? That period of time. But it also seems like it's talking about events that are yet future. And when we hear see this number 70, we're like, okay, is that a literal 70 years, or is that more figurative of a reality that when time is complete? And again, it's why some theologians argue read Isaiah alongside Revelation, because it's both talking about the here and now and the future reality of what will happen at the end of all things. Oswald argues that these next few verses are probably one of those sets of verses that are the end of all things, not something that happened in 630 B.C. In that day, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, like the days of one king. At the end of the 70 years, it will happen to Tyre as in the song of the prostitute. Take a harp, go about the city, O forgotten prostitute, make sweet melody, sing many songs that you may be remembered. At the end of 70 years, the Lord will visit Tyre, and she will return to her wages and will prostitute herself with all the kingdoms of the world on the face of the earth. Her merchandise and her wares will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. Okay, a couple things are going back. There's a modern poem referred to in this story, okay? And it illustrates, some might argue crudely, how Tyre will one day come back, okay? And this chapter, many parts of it actually, when does this happen? This is probably yet future. But the picture is using a poem in the current day of a a prostitute coming back and being restored in her good fortune. If you want to make a movie out of it, that's up to you. The prophets, the prestige for the land of Tyre that had accrued to the business folk, it's different now. The second use of the word prostitute probably isn't the best use of that English word. We think of prostitute as in selling one's body, okay? It's probably more communicating that Tyre, once again, will have economic business with the world will be once again the thriving marketplace that it was. And that's probably what the author, Isaiah, is more driving at. And the difference, and some might argue that it should always be this way, but the difference between the before and the after is that the after, the profits of the best business accrue to the Lord and to the people of God. Doesn't that kind of make you smile a little bit? I mean, to me, that kind of makes me smile a a little bit. Check out that verse again, okay? Her merchandise, her wares will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded. I mean, it's it's almost kind of this flat, her, her, her fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. And that kind of makes me smile. That kind of makes me like just a little bit giddy inside. I, I can't imagine how it would work out. But that's the prophecy. That's the promise. 
I wonder if that can be true in our lives today. Think about all the times when you thought you were working for someone else. Or think about all the times when you think you have been working for yourself. (laughs) That's all gone. That's all gone. What it's replaced with is, is this economic reality of working for God. And there's a part of me that, that is really jazzed about that attitude, that reality, because that's one that can serve me well, even if this event is future. What if instead of in, in your chosen realities of how you make money, of, of how you supply the necessary dollars to make your house work. What, what if we thought in terms of not that I was doing it for me or for my family or for the guy that I work for or for the shareholders, but what if I thought I'm doing it for God? I mean, it's an attitude that would serve us so well that God has us in in a spot to influence for his good. That irrespective of where you work, irrespective of what you do, do, whether you carry a badge and a gun or whether you carry a Bible or or, or whether you're an individual who who is an expert in human resources or, 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 or retail or printing or whatever you do, you're doing it for God. That God has you in a spot to influence for his good. That your work has great value to the Father. You work for him. I I would just find that, I find that amazingly refreshing. And, And invigorates me for the task that I do. On a daily basis, on a weekly basis that I don't have to wait for this prophecy to come true. I can live out this prophecy in my life right now. I can work for God. And even if my boss is an absolute jerk, I can still work for God. And even if the demands are many, I can still work for God. And even if I'm in a dead-end position, I can still work for God. And then if I'm in a position where I am really blessed and I make tons of cake, I acknowledge I'm doing it for God. Do we slow down enough to listen? Do we slow down enough to hear, to be at peace? Do we slow down enough to think about what we know and think about how we know it? Here's what I know. Having a relationship with God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, being personally connected to the Father through Jesus Christ, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, is the most important thing in my life. And everything flows from that. Who I love, how I love, how I think about work, how I think about play. And I also have learned that that a lot of what passes for deeply held things, I need to hold more gently. Not that I lack convictions, 
And while we might find the prophesying on, is that even a word, of Isaiah a bit heavy, these words could be written in our day and age. The reality that all of us need to be drawn where our focus is on the right thing. This last week I had a conversation with a friend of mine. His initials are Dan. And, and we've, we've walked and journeyed through some pretty crazy stuff. And, and so, um, so we sat down and I'm like, so what do you want to talk about, you know? And, and he's like, I don't want to talk about anything. I want to talk about you. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I don't necessarily want to talk about me. He's like, no, I've just been listening. I want to make sure you're okay, you know? And, and I've gotten that from a few people. And yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay, you know? And, and so then, then we started sharing stories, and, and he started just asking just brilliantly insightful questions. And, um, and I have to honestly say, I think for a, about a half hour, the roles were reversed. And it was really cool. And at the end, he said, you know what I think? I'm like, no. He's like, I think the Father is saying, I need you right here. I'm like, thank you. I had another conversation with a friend of mine this last week. His initials are Bob. How you doing? I'm like, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. And then he talked about how he had just taught a Bible study on Wednesday morning for a group of guys that show up. And he talked about how the grace of God enables the peace of God. Man, did I need to hear that. Those are the things that I know. Those are the things that I'll go to my grave knowing. The things that I hold with great certainty. And I challenge you with the same. Please pray with me. Father, for some of us today, we need to rethink how we think about work. Impress upon our lives the simple reality that we can make this prophecy come true in our lives today. That as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, we can work for you, whatever our station in life may be. And for some of us, Father, we've been running so hard, so long, so fast. There's been very little peace. Grab our attention. Slow us down. And for some of us, Father, we've been certain about the wrong things and uncertain about the right things. Enable us to have the modesty to cry out and say, teach me, Father. Father.
show me what your son was about. I invite your spirit's activity into my life. Or pray a prayer to the Holy Father that you need to pray today. He listens and he answers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.